Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. These are the prison epistles. A couple of really common prayers that my kids say in the morning uh, and at night are, uh, Jesus, please help us to control our emotions uh, and also help us to think about what we're doing before we do it. Uh, it sort of has become a bit of a liturgy uh, in our prayers. And then inevitably later on in the day, uh, something will happen where we have to try and remind them and coax them into remembering what they prayed for earlier in that day. Um, uh, but, but as they pray it too, I, I realize how often that I need that as well. Uh, God, help me to control my emotions. God, help me to think about what I'm doing before I actually do it. Um, sort of that self-control piece. And, and I think in many ways, this is what Paul is praying for the Philippian church here uh, in the text this morning. Uh, so let's dive into Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Uh, Paul planted this church in Philippi. He's currently in prison in Rome, and he just, he loves these people. Um, his heart pours through in, the, in this letter for the church. And, uh, but there's also, with his separation, there's, there's some concern. Uh, he's concerned about them uh, sort of as a father is with children, right? That uh, we have a world that's trying to pull us away, that's trying to, to draw us away from center. Uh, and he's concerned that their faith w- would hold strong in the midst of temptations and distractions. I entreat Eudia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Paul is responding to, to news about the church. So uh, Eutychus has come, uh, and he's given a report of what's going on in the church, and so Paul is writing a, a response letter back, a thank you letter for their gift, uh, and a response letter back to the issues going on in the church, and there appears to be some kind of a disagreement or a fight going on with these two ladies. Um, so he's calling them to, to reconcile their differences, to find unity, um, to, to sort of submit to each other. Uh, it's also interesting that he says, um, true companion here in verse 2. Um, some, uh, co- some have sort of this name here, uh, which is a syzygous. And so that actually, I think, is a person. Uh, this true companion is, is another person in the church. Uh, the name syzygous means uh, yoke fellow. And so he's asking syzygous... Um, to, to help these women in, in walking side by side. So it's wordplay on his name and this idea of everyone being yoked together, pulling in the same direction for the same mission. And so he's calling them to a unity um, and, and to reconciling together. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And here is the tagline for our series, this, this stark reminder that Paul is in prison, doesn't know what's going to happen, uh, doesn't know if, if, if he's about to be crucified or, or let go, doesn't know how long he's going to be in prison, and, and he's calling on this church that's experiencing some division and some frustration. He says, rejoice, take joy, be happy, joyful. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Um, That word reasonableness sounds kind of clunky. There's no uh, direct English translation for that Greek word. Um, Other ways of translating would be big-heartedness, geniality, kindliness, gentleness, considerateness, charitableness, generosity. So you kind of see the the full gamut of of what this word means. It's a a self-sacrificing kind of an attitude 
towards other. Um, let your attitude of generosity, your attitude of compassion, your attitude uh, of big-heartedness be known to all. And maybe you get a better, a fuller understanding there uh, of what Paul is calling this church to, especially with these two women who are, are, are at odds. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Um, Peter reminds us, he says, cast your anxieties on God because he cares for you. Um, it's trusting that God is in control, God knows what he's doing, and that he cares for us, he loves us. And so Paul says, just as he's doing as well with his anxieties about the church, he says, he says turn them over to God in prayer. Trust him in all of these things. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So as we trust God with our anxieties, uh, the Spirit will, will bring about this peace that, that transcends all understanding. Verse 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Uh, there is an interesting contrast here. It's sort of similarity where um, at the end of verse 7, God says, and the peace, uh, Paul says, and the peace of God will guard your hearts. The peace of God being with us. And then here in verse uh, 9, he says, the God of peace, this, this relational God himself will be with us. Um, and so here in these verses, he's, he's talking about sort of controlling our thoughts. Uh, controlling uh, the things that we're thinking about and fixing our minds on things above, setting our minds on these things that are excellent and, and praiseworthy, guarding our minds and choosing what we're thinking about. And, and both God's peace will be with us, um, but also God himself, the God of peace, walks with us when we choose to do these things. Uh, and so he's, he's calling them really to stand firm in this faith um, in the way that they interact with each other in relationship. Uh, that they, they lost sight of the mission, perhaps, uh, that they were yoked together for a common purpose, that he's reminding them to submit to each other in this, in this gentleness, in this, this other-centeredness. Um, and then he calls them as well to, uh, to, to focus or look at their anxiety and to cast their anxiety, right, to control their emotions, really, I think is what he's calling them to do. And, and rather than being anxious about the future and about their stuff and what's going on, um, instead casting that on God, and trusting him, so controlling their their anxiety, controlling their emotions um, by surrendering it to Jesus, and then and then controlling their thought life as well to think about what they're doing before they do it, to fix their mind on the good and not the bad, and not spiraling into bitterness, not spiraling into envy, uh, maliciousness, and those sort of things, but fixing their mind. Um, and, and the way that we do that, uh, the way that we control our emotions, the way that we that we control our thoughts, the way that we you know, sort of submit to each other, uh, is by focusing on, on what our faith is rooted in. It's sort of, uh, A.W. Tozer said, uh, what you believe about God is the truest thing about you, the most important thing about you. Uh, and so where, where is our faith? What is our faith placed in? And, and we begin that question by kind of asking, uh, what do you fear? 
When we, we, mean it's, we can say, of course, my faith is in Jesus, and we can say that, and we proclaim that, and we sing it. But if we truly ask, what is my practical, everyday, day-to-day life faith, what am I placing it in? Uh, we ask the question, well, what am I afraid of? What, what are my nightmares? What am I terrified of? And uh, that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, spiders and snakes and, you know, public speaking. Um, but the root, core, deep-seated nightmare things that you are afraid of. At the very core of our being, things like loneliness, lack of control, maybe boredom, being an outcast, um, being embarrassed or unappreciated, those sort of deep character fears. And then as, you, as we begin to identify those in our lives, uh, then, then we have to ask, well, what is it that saves us from those deep central fears? What is our Savior? Tim Keller calls those things that we trust to protect us and save us from those deep fears. He calls them our functional saviors. And so, for example, if your if your deep seated fear is loneliness, then maybe um, maybe there's a relationship, a single one particular relationship in your life that that is saving you from loneliness, and you're casting your faith on that other person. Maybe if your fear is a lack of control, perhaps your functional savior is money. If it's boredom, perhaps it's substances. If your fear is being outcast, then perhaps your your functional savior is your family. You're putting your faith in your family. Well, perhaps if your uh, fear is about being embarrassed or exposed, then then your your savior is your own personal image. If you feel unappreciated, right? If that's your fear, then maybe your your functional savior is your job, your work, your accomplishments, the things that you are are good at doing. Um, the problem is that with all of these, they will all fail. That every one of them will fail at some point in time. Your family will let you down. Relationships will disappoint. Uh, your job w- you know, will end at some point. And so what are, what are we trusting as our Savior to protect us from our deep fears? And, and, and when our Saviors begin to fail us, that's where we get really core existential fear and anxiety and brokenness and despair. And I think that's why Paul is calling us here too, that that Jesus is the only Savior that will not disappoint. Jesus is the only Savior who truly has victory. Uh, Again, you go back to loneliness. Jesus is always with us. Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. Nothing will ever snatch us out of his hand. The promises of, of Jesus, the true Savior, the only one we truly can trust. If our fear is a lack of control, we trust in his, his, his control, that He is on the throne of the universe. If our fear is, is uh, boredom, then, then we lean in and trust that the Spirit of God dwells within us and wants to call us into kingdom mission and kingdom purposes for eternal impact, that He's calling us into an adventure if we'll follow Him. Maybe our fear is being, again, outcast, and in Jesus we have the adoption of God at the expense of the cost of the cross, that he adopts us and calls us sons and daughters. If we're embarrassed, the truth is that Jesus will never turn his face from us, that Jesus took the shame and the guilt and all those things on himself, and and he loves us as children. If we feel fear unappreciation, then, then we see that the rewards that he has for us, that things don't go unnoticed, that there are rewards someday. And so, uh, I mean, and there's a multitude of other fears that maybe you struggle with, but in all of them, I truly believe that Jesus is the true and only Savior, the one who won't disappoint. And as we look at 
our anxieties in those fears. And as we look at our own thought life and how do we control the things that we think about and not spiraling into, into despair and brokenness and, and, and sin, and in the relationships we have with others and how we, how we put the needs of others ahead of ourselves, it really comes down to who is our Savior. Because if we can trust Jesus fully, that if Jesus is never going to falter or fail, then we can lean into those things and fully trust Him. Um, and something that's been helpful for me is, as we look at uh, how do I deal with my anxiety? How do I deal with my thought life? How do I deal with relationships? As Paul is calling here uh, with the Philippian church, um, it's a bit cheesy, but for me, I can remember it. And so that helps. Um, it's, it's two things. Number one, I remember, I trust that God is sovereign. And number two, that God is good. And if I trust in those things, and if you're listening to the audio cast, I have my, my two fingers up in the air and you flip that around, that is my peace. If God is sovereign, He's in control, but God is also good, then I can trust Him completely and in that I can find my peace. And so we rely on those things because Jesus is the true and greater Savior in all things and we can trust Him that He's in control and that He loves us. And as we saw even in Romans 8, that God works all things together for good. We can trust in His goodness and His plan for our lives and in that we can rest in our peace. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you are in control. God, we thank you that, that the universe does not, uh, does not surprise you in any way. That we don't fully understand what you're doing, but we thank you that you do. And God, we trust in your goodness that in all things you work all things together for the good of those who love you. That, that you care for us, that you are with us, that you are for us. We can trust you in all things, and God, I pray that you would help us to control our emotions because of the peace that we have in you. Help us to control our thoughts because, of again, the security we have in you, and help us to submit to each other and love each other well because of the way that you've loved us. God, thank you for these truths. In your name we pray. Amen. We'll hope you have a great week. Uh, we'll talk again soon. See you later.